0: What's going on? Welcome to Canal and Bell on this Thursday. My man Raja is off today, so we'll we'll make do without my guy Raj. We'll probably have a Canal and Company of sorts today. Joey's in the uh, control room. He's going to help me out. We got Emory Hunt's going to help make some picks for us, NFL and college. And I'm going to put Emory on the spot too about the college football playoff discussion. We always get good insight from him on how to make a few bucks over the weekend. But I'm I'm curious to see what he thinks. The College Football Selection Committee will do in a couple scenarios, one being, hey, what if Georgia beats LSU in that national uh, SEC championship game? Would they still put them in? And Luca had a night for Dallas, and I'll get Joey's thoughts on that. But I did have some. If you notice anything different about me today, I have no beard. I had a beard for about three weeks and then it was just kind of getting itchy. It was getting a little bit irritating, and my wife doesn't like it. I mean, that's, let's be honest. That's the bottom line, why I shaved it. She doesn't like it, so, uh, you know, happy wife, happy life. So I'm going to listen to her every single time. But I do look at myself in the mirror today, and I see something just different. It's, it's kind of odd, odd, like, whoa, you look different without a beard when I'm looking at myself. I have a question for Joey in the control room because I'm curious to know. I don't know if I've ever seen Joey without a beard. Uh, And I'm curious to know, like, how different he would look. Like, Joey, what what do you look like without a beard?
2: I would. When was the last
0: time you had it?
2: I I know exactly when I fully shaved it. The last time was I was working in Charlotte for the Hornets, and I had an interview at University of Miami (laughs) to work for Jim Larinaga, and um, it turned out that I was just a candidate among that he had to bring in. (laughs) um you know like he had to (laughs) you know like you have to interview a certain amount of people but he already had his guy picked um he never called me he nothing to tell me he just sent like a random email like sorry whatever and i shaved for that and after that i was like well i thought i deserved that job so i'm not shaving again because i I, I got a job with a beard i (laughs) don't i didn't get a job without a beard so yeah but i would look like a i would look probably 10 years younger
0: See, that's what my wife sold me on, and that's why she actually taught me. She's like, you look younger without the beard. I kind of think I look younger with the beard, but she said younger, so I'll go with that every time. Uh, and we'll see. If I want it back, I'll grow it back. All right, let's move on to some NFL. Hey, Dan- uh, Danny, uh, yeah. though,
2: Danny, I, I know we're about to get into the um, N- N- NFL MVP race, yep. but we got to address the MVP of the day before we get into anything, right? Uh, happy, who, happy birthday, Danny hey, Camille. Hey, there we Let's go. Let's drop some confetti. Can we get some confetti <laughs> for Danny? I mean, come I don't know. on. Hey, there,
0: it is. there we go. It is my birthday. Hey, 41 did You buy never that? felt did better. Did
2: you buy yourself that gift we talked about on the show yesterday? I am in
0: the market for a gift for myself. As Raja said, if you don't treat yourself, nobody else will. I have actually begun shopping for it, although I don't know if I'll actually get it today. But again, like I said, Joe, yesterday, if... I'll just combine it because it is probably going to be a larger purchase than I would normally buy for myself. I'll justify it. I'll do it as a Christmas slash birthday gift. That's a good part about having a birthday in November. You can always ask for a bigger gift and just say, well, combine them. And then hopefully whoever you're asking for, they'll forget about it by the time you'll get a second gift. But yeah, I haven't done it yet, but I'm in the market for it. I'll, I'll let you guys know what I do. All right. NFL MVP race. I think it is one of the best races we have seen in the last decade of multiple candidates that run pretty deep i think you can make a really strong case for about seven or eight guys in the nfl that still have a legitimate chance to win the MVP. And that's great. Like this is great for the NFL. The NFL is having a fantastic season. Uh, as it pertains to breakout stars. You've got Lamar Jackson. Who is probably in the top two position there. You got Deshaun Watson falling off a little bit. But he's could probably be back in the race. You got Dak Prescott. He's been up. Started off three games. Give him the MVP. Then they lose a few games in a row. Now he's back up there. I think you're going to see that trend. Continue on the back at, uh, back end of the season. So let's take a look at it. Let's see, let's see who we think. Collectively, Cannell and company, who we think can actually win the award as we look at Westgate's latest NFL MVP odds. No surprise to me that Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson uh, are top one and two and starting to separate themselves from the field at plus 150 and plus 175 respectively with Dak Prescott um, coming in there at plus 700, Aaron Rodgers plus 1,200. Last year's winner, Patrick Mahomes, coming in at plus 2,000. Christian McCaffrey at plus 2,000. And then you start seeing a little bit of a drop off somewhat. Dalvin Cook still at 2,000, plus 2,000. Sean Watson at plus 2,000. And then Kirk Cousins plus 4,000. Same as Jimmy Garoppolo at plus 4,000. I think there are some guys you can cross off this list. Christian McCaffrey, as fantastic as he has been. The Carolina Panthers team has fallen off somewhat. And I know it's not Christian McCaffrey's fault as he has still been as dominant as he's been throughout the entire season when he was getting a lot of love. But, you know, the NFL kind of caught up to Kyle Allen, the quarterback uh, that took over for Cam Newton. And one thing that I do think you have to be on is a playoff team. It's only happened twice in NFL history. We saw an MVP come from a team that did not make the playoffs. I don't think the Carolina Panthers are going to make the the playoffs sitting at 5-5. you got the Vikings at eight and three, who would you know shore up the wild card spot there? You've got the Seattle Seahawks. Like I think the the wild card spot is going to be filled by either Seattle or Minnesota, and I don't think the Carolina Panthers are going to win their division with the Saints sitting comfortably in the lead. So that's what I think is going to hurt Christian McCaffrey the most in this discussion is that he is going to be a victim of his circumstance. The team isn't good, so people are going to forget about and it might be one of the best seasons we've ever seen put forward by a running back. When you look at totality of rushing the football, catching it total yards from scrimmage, it's going to be insane. Joey, are you with me that we can pretty much write off Christian McCaffrey from the conversation?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're going to be able to give it to a guy who's not in the playoffs, and they have a long road ahead of them to get back into the playoffs from what I'm seeing. I mean, I think they're going to have to win. They're probably going to have to – I mean, what would they have to go? Nine and seven? which means they'd have to go four and one and even nine and seven might not but get him in. I don't I, think like, nine and seven does no, get him no, in so because yeah, you've already got Seattle. So can't, too. I, can you give it even with the great numbers? I mean, cause the guy that actually blew me away in this is Mike. I mean, I was looking, Michael Thomas is also plus 4,000 and his receiving numbers this year are just blowing everyone in the league away. But I mean, you're not going to give it to him because you have Drew Brees on that team and he's no. on a better team. So I'm just like, no, nah, I don't think it can be, McCaffrey's. Well
0: also also Joey what you have to be is you have to play quarterback. Like that's the position. It's kind of and I know we've given it out to other positions before, but if you're going to be a, a running back or you're going to be a wide receiver and win that the most valuable player in the NFL year, you need kind of a couple things to happen. One, you have to do something historically great. You have to break a record. Maybe it's an NFL all-time rushing record. Uh, if you're a receiver, you'd have to break the touchdown record or receiving yards, something that stands out. And the other thing you have to have is you have to have multiple quarterbacks fall by the wayside. Because if if you have a quarterback who's having a really strong season and he separated himself and maybe he's not having a record-setting season they're probably – the voters are going to give it to the quarterback every time. It's the most important position of the game. We talk about it the most. They get the most airtime. So I understand that, but that's where I think those um, types of guys are the – they just don't have a chance. That's why I'm willing to write off Christian McCaffrey at this point. I also think, now, Danny,
2: I think also it doesn't help him that Dalvin Cook, while he's not having the same year as McCaffrey – He's not that far behind. Like the touchdowns, he'd have to catch up a little bit. From a yardage total yards from scrimmage, he's like a he's like about a hundred yards from scrimmage behind McCaffrey right now. If if Christian has one bad game and Dalvin has one game where he blows up and two hundred total yards and three touchdowns, he's right there with McCaffrey. So it kind of hurts both of them. Because if it was just one guy at that position showing out, then maybe. But two guys doing the same thing, probably not.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought up Dalvin Cook, Joey, because he has a significant problem. His quarterback might win the award and Kirk Cousins. And I know I have been the biggest Kirk Cousins defender. I've been, uh, you know, Captain Kirk Club, uh, fan club. I've been the president of that for some time. He is putting together a season, which is his best yet to date. His team is in the playoff mix. He's starting to shed some of the... Um, criticism that's been around him hey he can't win in prime time he's 2-0 in prime time can't beat good teams he's starting to beat teams that are winning teams that are in the playoff hunt now i still think kirk cousins there's some real value there at plus plus four thousand if the minnesota vikings get hot but what hurts dalvin cook might be the same thing that hurts kirk cousins you got two great players on this team and their style of play even this with kirk cousins putting up these type of numbers you know this team is only going to go far as Dalvin cook can take them. And I even have my doubts about if something happened to Dalvin cook, or if he gets maintained by a defense, which opposing defense defenses down the stretch here, they're going to make a much more concerted effort to, to shut down Dalvin cook. That's why I still think the value, if you're going to take either Dalvin cook or Kirk cousins, it would be on Kirk cousins. Cause Dalvin cook could get shut down. Dalvin cook getting shut down could actually provide more opportunity for Kirk cousins to put up bigger numbers in the air. Now, you could question and say, well, could he get that done? That's a worthy question. I think he can, and he would have to do it. But if he does, then all of a sudden he becomes to the forefront and he makes a stronger push in the back end of the season. It's been pegged as a two-man race. I would, If it was just the top two favorites, I would say the Russell Wilson has a significant edge over Lamar Jackson in one respect. I think he's going to be more consistent Much like he's been throughout his entire career. I think you could see Lamar Jackson still a little bit up and a little bit down. And if he has those down moments at the wrong time, maybe in a game that's for a division matchup or a game against a quality opponent as they start getting some more primetime matchups, I think that could hurt Lamar Jackson. Now, the thing Lamar Jackson has going in his favor, newness. It's the shiny new toy. Everybody loves talking about it. Everybody loves watching him play. Highlight, real run after highlight, real run, whether it's a spin move a couple weeks ago to a, a move where he's actually showcasing some power, uh, you know, running through def- defenses now. That's what Lamar Jackson has going for him is the newness factor. Um, and he's getting better, but I still feel like Lamar Jackson could have a game or two on the back end of their schedule that could hurt him. Now, granted, Russell Wilson could too, but I have more trust and more confidence that Russell Wilson would be more consistently great throughout the back end with the Ravens who have to go on the road this weekend to LA to take on the Rams. Then they play the 49ers. Then they play the Bills on the road. Like the next three weeks are really going to be a significant test for Lamar Jackson. If he maintains it through the next three weeks, he might be able to just go ahead and give himself the award because his final three weeks, he can climb his way back into that with games against the Jets, Browns, and Steelers. It should be really a fascinating one. Um, I'll give you my top four. I think it's Lamar, Russ. Dak Prescott, I think, is still somebody that's been forgotten. I already gave you Kirk Cousins. He's in my four. But Dak Prescott is somebody that's been overlooked somewhat, but he's going to have an opportunity. One, you got the star on your helmet. You're a Dallas Cowboy. That brand goes a long way. You get a lot of airtime nationally. You get a lot of nationally televised game. You start getting right at the right time which he is, the last couple games, playing some of his best football to date. I know he's got the nine interceptions, which kind of jump out to you, but those were earlier in the season during that three-game uh, three-game skid where they lost to the Saints, Packers, and Jets. You play a nationally recognized brand, uh, and I do think he would have some people on his side that would say, all right, you know, hey, this guy deserves a contract, one of the lowest paid uh, quarterbacks in the NFL. I think that could actually help him too, but I just... I don't know if I could see him overtaking um, Russell Wilson. If you had me, one guy, put all your eggs in one basket, it would be Russell Wilson with Seattle because I am very bullish on Seattle, not only for him at the MVP race, but also as a team to make a very deep, deep playoff run. And maybe that's because I predicted that in the preseason, and it's hard for me to admit I'm wrong, but I still think the Seahawks are going to have an outstanding finish to the season. Uh, speaking of the quarterback position, there could be some really, really interesting storylines that develop this offseason as it pertains to quarterback movement. We could see a quarterback carousel of some sorts, and we could also see some guys who have been entrenched starters, franchise quarterbacks on the outside looking in at when it comes to the 2020 NFL season. So there's going to be a bunch of teams that are gonna be looking for quarterbacks. Here's some of the quarterbacks who could find themselves. Andy Dalton, he's done in Cincinnati, right? He's already been benched for Randy, uh, for Ryan Finley. Marcus Mariota, Ryan Tannehill, might have stolen that job from him and, and made a new gig. Phillip Rivers has had a two atrocious weeks throwing seven interceptions. Eli, I don't even know if he's going to look for another job, but if he is, he'd be out there on the market. Mitchell Trubisky, still somewhat in the air. I think they're, it's gonna be hard for the Bears to cut ties with their former second overall pick, but he's kind of giving them no choice where they might move on. Teddy Bridgewater, going to be free. I think the Saints try to bring him back, sort of convince him to go for the uh, heir apparent to Drew Brees. Cam Newton. Now this is a little bit up more in the air because I thought Kyle Allen had stolen his job and then Kyle Allen has really struggled. So maybe the Carolina Panthers bring him back for one more year. And then Jameis Winston, I think he's done. I think he's kind of made the decision easy for the Bucks as well. So you got what do we have here? Eight quarterbacks who have been pretty household names as far as it pertains to being a franchise quarterback in the NFL. They're going to be looking for spots. And there's about the same amount of teams looking for spots. But here's the problem. When you look at some of the teams that could be looking for quarterbacks, you got the Miami Dolphins, obviously they've been tanking. They got Ryan Fitzpatrick. You got the Titans. I think Tannehill might have earned himself the job. The Bengals went to Ryan Philly. I think the Bengals are absolutely drafting a quarterback with the first overall pick. I think it should be Joe Burrow. He's from Ohio. It makes a lot of sense. So that takes off one of these teams off the table as for one of these landing spots. Because I don't think they would sign a Cam Newton. Or even though he is does have some odds to go there. Or an entrenched starter. Because you really want a mentor role for a younger quarterback. The Broncos... Who the heck knows what they're going to do uh, with Brandon Allen taking over Joe Flacco. Don't forget, they drafted Drew Locke last year, who has been banged up. Maybe he gets to play in the back half of the season. They get to see what he's made of. The Bears are definitely in the market for a quarterback. Maybe they're the ones that bring in... Maybe they'd be the team that doesn't draft a quarterback, and they bring in a Cam Newton type uh, to go there. Maybe even a Teddy Bridgewater. The Panthers, they're in the market for a quarterback. They like Calum, but I don't think they love him. I think they would love to bring in somebody to compete. And the Bucs are wide open. I think the Buccaneers are the one job, that, uh quarterback job that is wide open there. But when you match these up, eight quarterbacks looking for teams, eight quarterbacks that are in the need for, quarterba- uh, for a quarterback, but they got draft picks. Some of those are going to be filled with draft choices. So you're going to see some guys looking at potentially no longer being franchise quarterbacks, which there will be some turnover, and that's part of sports. It's what happens. Things will be tough, Bill, for some quarterbacks to swallow when they look around at the market, the landscape, and they find themselves on the outside looking in. Or maybe the best case, but not for them, is competing for a job. Hey, we'll we'll give you a contract. We're not going to pay you the big money. We're going to make you compete, maybe be a mentor, but at least they'll still have a job. Definitely going to be some quarterback movement uh, throughout this season. It'll be an interesting off-story, off, off-season storyline to keep our eyes on.
1: The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Weeks.
0: This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. You expected someone else? welcome back to the show as we do every single thursday we get on our guy emory hunt does a fantastic uh, fantastic job for us breaking down some games giving us some picks but emory i want to start with a conversation with what just had which was the mvp uh discussion in the nfl i'm going to give you two guys and you have let's say a hundred dollars we'll keep a nice round number a hundred dollars you can only place a bet on one of them to win the mvp award and it's the two favorites right now would you put a hundred dollars on lamar jackson Or would you put it on Russell Wilson? Because I think they're both fantastic candidates. I have my hunch who I would put my money on. Who would you put yours on?
1: I would put my money on Lamar Jackson. And I'll tell you why. Because he's a guy that is doing a lot of unique things. He's doing it on the ground. He's doing it in the air. And I think in the AFC, and it's going to sound weird, he has an easier track to uh, get that MVP and continue to win games going deeper into the playoffs. Seattle is in a tough situation. You have Green Bay, San Francisco, Um, Dallas there there's a lot of tough teams that could trip up Seattle along the way
0: here's why I went with Russ because I think one I trust him a little bit more he's got a longer body of work where he's been more consistent and then because he's gonna play against some of those brands and those tougher challenges I think he'll get better you know um eyeballs on them; more people will be watching those games, and will have bigger opportunities to make those big moments in fourth quarters where I think you're right. Lamar Jackson might have some especially the last three weeks of the season. Their schedule gets much easier. In any case, both of them have been more than deserving to this point. It's going to be a fun race to finish out the season. Uh, let's do some picks before I get some of your thoughts on the college football playoffs. Let's start off with the NFL. You have the Colts on the road versus the Texans. Texans kind of you know, limping into this game after a less than stellar performance uh, against Baltimore last week. Texans are a home point, three-and-a-half-point favorite. Who do you like in this one?
1: Yeah, I'm going to roll with Houston in this ball game. lay the points for the Texans. I do think last week was an anomaly. We've never seen a Deshaun Watson-led team get blown out before. So I think they'll rebound short week. And especially when you look at how banged up the Texans, I'm sorry, the Colts' offense is without Marlon Mack. They're going to go with Jonathan Williams. I think he's a good player. But I do like Houston to win this one by at least four points.
0: All right, let's move on to Seattle. We just talked about the road, how tough it is for Russell Wilson back into the season. they got to go across the country and face the Eagles, who are coming off a rough performance against the Patriots, in which they lost that one. The Eagles are a home one-and-a-half-point favorite. Can Russell Wilson get this done, or do you like the Eagles to get back on track?
1: Take the Seahawks and the points in this one. I agree with you. Exactly what you said about Russell Wilson and why he should be the MVP. When you look at this Eagles football team, all of their big games—you're talking about against the Patriots, against the Cowboys, against uh, all their the big games that they played in this year—they've lost. They've come up small, and so this is another big game, one that Carson Wentz is going to have to rise to the challenge and outduel a guy like Russell Wilson. So I think that won't happen. So take the Seahawks in the points.
0: Aside from the Baltimore game, the Patriots have been a cover machine. Like They have just been almost a virtual lock. No matter how many points they were laying, they just seemed to get it done, including last week against Philadelphia. Now they've got the Cowboys going to Foxborough. The Patriots are laying six and a half. I want to say, you know what? Patriots, top of the class. Like, hey, they're there. But yet I see some of their struggles offensively. Like, man, maybe this is the, t- the spot to take the dog here and the Cowboys. Which way do you lean?
1: I lean toward the Cowboys, take the Cowboys in a point here. I think the offense is going to be the key. You're you're right about the New England offense, but let's talk about that Dallas offense. They have three receivers, two tight ends, and a tailback. Oh, by the way, a dual-threat quarterback that can give the Patriots problems. So I do see Dallas having enough offense to really challenge New England. Now, defensively, they're fast and athletic, but they don't really get those key stops. So we may see a back-and-forth game, and this could be the game where the Patriots offense gets on the right track, but I don't see it. I think Dallas makes a statement. So take Dallas and the points in this one. All
0: right. Troy in the college football ranks we move to. Troy is going on the road to Louisiana. Where is Louisiana? Where is it located? Is in La- Lafayette, but, Louisiana, but we don't use it in the name anymore. We don't use we it in the don't. name anymore. We drop that, so we're past that point. Uh, there's all right. So I am assuming since you're repping your raging Cajuns with the sweet red hoodie, you can send one of those down to Fort Lauderdale if you like. Uh, I'm assuming <laughs> since you're repping them with your hoodie, that you are going to lay the 14 over Troy. Is that where you're going with?
1: I'm. This is a a protest to the College Football <laughs> Playoff Committee and why we're not ranked <laughs> six in the playoff committee. We want Bama. But I do like how the Raging Cajuns are running this football. And because of that offensive line, their run game, I thought last week was the wake-up call against South Alabama. So you can lay these points, these 14 points with the Raging
0: Cajuns. I love it. We need to get like a graphic built with Emery's picture. And then in the bottom said, Emery wants Bama. We need to do that somehow. Get, get Louisiana, make the case for them for the playoff. All right, moving on the SEC. LSU has been incredible this season. Their defense, I do think, is a liability. They gave up over 600 yards total total offense last week. John Rice Plumley, the quarterback for Ole Miss, ran all over them. Then on the flip side, he got Arkansas, is historically bad. They're two and eight. Their coach gets fired. They don't have much left to play for, which means LSU is going to be a 43 and a half point favorite in this game. I think you're easy. The inclination early. And say, oh, LSU is going to roll over them and lay the points. But man, is that a big number? Which way do you like? Which way are you siding?
1: Yeah, that's a big number. You saw last week they're much better than Ole Miss, and Plumlee is a good player. on Ely is going to be a fantastic running back for Ole Miss. But you saw how many points he scored. Now LSU will blow out Arkansas. Don't get me wrong, but they won't blow them out by forty-four points. they are probably win by thirty-five. So in that case, take Arkansas in the points because LSU's defense. You're absolutely right. They're a liability right now. They tend to go up some big plays on the back end. So I think Arkansas will get a touchdown or two, and LSU will you know, have this thing going early, and then they'll start to falter a little bit late, but still blow them out, but not by 43 and a half points.
0: All right, let's move to the Ivy League. This is my favorite part about Emory's picks. You get some under-the-radar games. I can't even find Ivy League lines sometimes, but you do have Yale laying seven against Harvard, one of the oldest rivalries in the history of the sport. Which way are you leaning on this one? Give me some nuggets.
1: Love the the Yale Bulldogs. You'll like this fact that their quarterback, Kurt Rollins, is one of the best QBs in the FCS. And they also have a good running back in Zane Dudek. What's also underrated about Yale is that they have tremendous defense. Last week, they were a seven-point underdog to Princeton. And they blew Princeton out 51-14 or 51-17, something like that. But their defense is a big reason why they can get this win versus Harvard. And also, they have the offense to really pull ahead and pull away toward the end.
0: All right, those are your picks for the weekend. Nice job on those. Let's 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 air it out a little bit because we don't have Raja. We usually we say goodbye to you now, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on some things as far as it pertains to the college football playoffs, some quarterbacks that are coming up in the draft. Let's start with the college football playoff because I think you can, I don't know, you can never make the assumption in college football because wackiness unfolds and you see chaos, but I feel pretty good about LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson, which brings us to the fourth spot. Um, do you think Bama... They're sitting at five, and I think their fans might be a little bit misled because they think, oh, if Georgia gets beat by LSU, we're going to just pop up a spot. I don't think that's the case. Do you? Would you make a case for Alabama, if they went out without Tua, would you make a case for them to be one of the final four teams when it comes time for the selection to be made? You can
1: definitely make a case for them because of how they played already without Tua. So they play competitive football. They still have a good run game. They have tremendous talent at receiver. Defensively, they're not the Bama defense, but they're still very good. So you can make the case that they are a better football team than Georgia, but I wouldn't discount what Oregon does up front, but now you have to worry about if Herbert can win a big game. I also wouldn't count out Oklahoma, depending on how they do, is seeing that comeback they had against Baylor and how they can do down the stretch and maybe meet up with Baylor once again. So those teams could get in the way, and also Utah. Utah plays an SEC-type game. They run the football. They got great defense, efficient quarterback play from Tyler Huntley, who's one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the country. So Utah, Oregon, and Oklahoma, I think, are the the, the guys that are standing in front of Alabama, if all things go how we just talked about according to playing.
0: You know, you mentioned um, Tyler Huntley right there. He's putting together a fantastic season. They don't ask him to do a ton, but, man, is he being efficient in the clutch. 13 touchdowns, only one interception on the year. I think you, you mentioned underrated players. I think he is maybe one of the most underrated players in the country. That Oregon-Utah game, I think, is going to be fascinating. I think the Pac- Pac-12 is in a really good spot, assuming they both win their regular season games and face each other as one-loss you know, division champs for a Pac-12 title. I think the Pac-12 is in good shape. Although, the one thing that concerns me is if Oregon beats Utah, they'd be the Pac-12 champ with one loss. And if Bama goes to Auburn, and blows them out. I don't think of, you know, a field goal, I don't think it gets it done. But if they blow Auburn out with you know a significant victory, with Mac Jones at quarterback, I think Bama fans and their you know they would be making a push saying, well, hold on a second. Oregon, you played Auburn at a neutral site, and you lost. We played him with our backup quarterback, and we destroyed him. I think that makes it a really tough decision on the committee. But ultimately, I do think... Conference champions will resonate, and I think the Pac-12 will get that spot. But man, that could be fascinating as that unfolds. Um, You do a fantastic job evaluating the quarterbacks as they come out for the draft. Uh, You were one of the guys who was promoting and talking up Lamar Jackson. I was too. We were both on the same page there when he was coming out of Louisville saying, hey, this guy can play, and he's made us both look good. Um, Who would be your number one quarterback coming out in the 2020 NFL Draft?
1: Right now, and this is early, but if I was to say number one quarterback and I'm looking at how they play versus pressure, how they handle the moment, how they are moving their team down the field, I would be hard-pressed to not take a guy like Jalen Hurts because of how battle-tested he is. You talk about what he went through at Alabama, how he came back and helped save their season uh, in that SEC championship game going to Oklahoma, short notice, spring ball, got that offense under wraps and was able to lead them out on the field this year and doing great things for the Sooners program with Lincoln Riley leading the way. So you're going to have a guy that's battle-tested in two Power 5 programs, have two premier head coaches that's going to sing his praises as a, as a type of person and quarterback he is, and we've seen him be unflappable versus pressure in adverse situations. So I would be hard-pressed to not take a first-round flyer on Jalen Hurts in this draft class
0: so i think he's going to be a really interesting case study because he hasn't been getting that much love and raj and i actually talked about this yesterday i thought he might have been a seventh round pick if he just didn't play if he would have stayed at uh, alabama not really played that much again and had just graduated and prepared for the draft i think he probably would have been a sixth or seventh rounder i think he's played his way into a much higher draft position i don't think he's going to get picked in the first round i just i I think he's got a. I think one thing that actually might actually hurt him is the fact that he plays at Oklahoma. And at some point, I think teams are going to be like, "Man, all right, this system is incredible." And I think it's going to really matter what he looks like when he works out in the, you know how does he throw at his pro day. I hope he does. I hope he rises there. I'll be a little bit more surprised if he gets taken in the first round. Not saying he's not deserving. I just think when you evaluate everything and what the NFL uh, is going to evaluate with him, I wonder if he'll get in the first round. I hope he does. It'd be an incredible story. Uh, what about Joe Burrow? He would be my first guy right now before you get into all the, hey, what do they look like in their workout and shorts and all the, the interview process? Because you mentioned games against pressure. Like what he's done and what he's meant to this LSU team, and how accurate he is, I mean, he's going to set the record for completion percentage in the regular season or in college football in one season. He's almost at seventy nine percent of his you know passes completed, and he doesn't just dink and dunk it around the field. And he's done it against you know whatever team it was, whether it was Texas on the road, whether it was Alabama, whether it was all, any team. He has stepped up in a big way. Where do you think you would have Joe Burrow uh, coming out in the draft? What spot? Where where would you see him going?
1: Yeah, he would be like 1A1B when you're talking about guys that are unflappable. You go back to last year, how he did it against Auburn in that ball game. So Burrow has that it factor that you want. I know a lot of people question his arm strength, but the ball gets there, and you can overcome lack of arm strength, per se, with great anticipation. I think he anticipates well. His placement is where it needs to be, and he has that moxie. I know people love that word and love to make fun of it, but that's true. He has that about him. And that's a big reason why LSU is looking like they are going to be a national champion this year because of Joe Burrow and what he does against the best competition. To me, I would only trust a guy like Burrow and Hurts. Everyone else, you see a little bit of falter in the big games in those pressure type situations. Burrow and Hurts don't do that. And and one more thing about Hurts, his situation reminds me a lot of Dak Prescott. I had the same sentiment about Dak Prescott uh, that you did. Uh, When you talk about him leading up to his senior year, it's like, all right, well, he'll he'll be a nice backup quarterback. But then it was in a bowl game against NC State against Jacoby Brissett where you kind of thought, you know, Prescott kind of looks improved. He goes out to the senior bowl, which you expect Hurts to do, and do a great job down there win the MVP. And now we see him doing great things in the NFL. But Burrow, make no mistakes about it. You told me you took Burrow over Hurts. I wouldn't argue one bit because Burrow is a fantastic player I can care less about. Couldn't care any less about arm strength I love his anticipation and what he does versus pressure both of the moment versus the defense and also in the situation
0: now Tua is going to be a interesting case study because he had this devastating injury that we saw that ended his season and most likely his career let's just assume he goes into re- they said the surgery went well expect a full recovery what would you do with Tua like where do you think he goes is he still a top 10 pick or do you think the injury concerns could potentially hurt him I think the
1: concerns have to be at the forefront because you're not just talking about a hip injury. You're talking about two ankle surgeries as well. He's had surgeries and not just where he sprained the ankle and missed a couple of games here, or there we're talking about legit surgeries that kept him out. And that's three right now, two on, on, on the ankle and now with a hip. So I would probably not take him in the first round. I would probably, if he's there in the third round, low risk, high reward, reward. Yeah. Take him then. But you have to consider the injury risk if you're going to invest that type of draft capital and that type of money and expectations in a first-round pick that you don't know is going to last his entire rookie contract.
0: Emery, good stuff, man. Appreciate the time. Go Raging Cajuns, right? All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. Luka Doncic had a night. He's had a season so far for the Dallas Mavericks uh, following up, just putting an emphatic statement uh, following up his rookie of the year type season he had last year. To where last night, he had a triple-double in just 25 minutes of the game. And it was it was dominant, it was fun, it was flashy, it was everything you would look for. Everything that people are excited about him, he was doing on the season so far. So he had 35, let me just get it, 35 points, 11 assists, and 10 rebounds in 25 minutes. That's right. 35 points. He had 22 points in the first quarter. He came out on fire. And not only this, and I was talking to Joey about this before the show. Joey, did you see the play that I was talking about when we were texting back and forth where he was driving through the lane, he he went for the assist, and he gave it through the wickets? Yeah. It, yeah, was, it, was and it looked absurd. so effortless. Like it didn't even look like. Sometimes you see guys sizing it up, and they kind of telegraph it. It was so smooth and understated. Like that's the most complimentary thing you can say. Is it looked like it was just natural to him to find an opening to make an assist through the legs of an opponent. Like it was. It was awesome.
2: Yeah. It's. It's. Um. He is. You talk about the smoothness. Um. He is. Um. They were talking about who to compare him to on the broadcast, and uh, like. They said that Rick Carlisle compared him to, like, 30 guys because there's not just one guy. But I was watching him just like – he's so he's like Steph's smoothness right now. Like, everything he does is so effortless. Like, when Steph wasn't at his best, every time he shot – you were more surprised when he missed, you know? Like, he's like, every time he shoots, it's going in. Every pass he makes is perfect. Everything he does is right. And it, I just – he's not – he's so much bigger than Steph. He's a different player than Steph. But that effort – that effortlessness that I saw – like, in the way he's been playing the last couple games, that's the way it kind of struck me. Because even when you compare him to, like, he's got a little Harden, but Harden sometimes struggles. And he's got, you know, the skill level, like the LeBron and all that. But, I mean, the effortlessness is what stuck out to me last night, like you said.
0: So, when you look at him in the bigger conversation, because I was watching the game, too, and Van Gundy was talking about it. And he was mentioning a conversation he had with the Dallas radio uh, analyst. And he said, you know, hey, is it crazy to say that Luca? is one of the best players in the NBA right now. And Van Gundy was like, no, it's not. And then it's like, well, all right, if he's in that conversation, just how high are you willing to go and where, and how long does it take for him to have to be taken uh, seriously in that conversation. So right now he's fourth in the NBA with 29.9 points, almost 30 points a game. He trails James Harden, Giannis and Bradley Beal, who's quietly having an outstanding season in Washington. Um, where where do you rank him, Joey? Because I think he's definitely top five. And I think this is current players that are actually healthy right now. Because I think you definitely get a boost with KD and Steph Curry being out. Those guys are top five players, without argument. Maybe top three. So they're gone. You got Harden. You got LeBron. You got Giannis. You know, you got Kyrie. What? what where do you think he falls in that, hey, top five, top seven? Where would you put Luka at this point?
2: Yeah, it's crazy to even... Consider that where we were ahead of the season. So I think we talked about it on the show before the season. My top five, and not even including KD, was Kawhi, one, LeBron, two. I think I had Giannis, three, Steph, four, AD, five, and then I think I had Harden, six. Like those are my lock top players in the league. But you make a good, if it's guys that are currently playing, I can't put them ahead of those four guys LeBron, uh, LeBron, AD, Kawhi, or Giannis yet. Um, and I, have I, trouble, I included I have trouble.
0: Kyrie in the conversation. Is he better than Kyrie at this point? Yes, yeah. I think I so mean, too.
2: I'm, I'm a look. It's hard to ask me about Kyrie. I, I'm not a big. I've never been a big Kyrie guy. And Kyrie is, if we're just talking about pure scores, then Kyrie is. I mean, Kyrie's in that conversation just straight up scoring ability. But Luca just does every. I mean, everything Luca does is outside of scoring. Probably as a pure scorer, is better. And he's bigger. He's he's probably he's probably the, a little bit bigger. Probably a little bit stronger. Maybe not as athletic, but uh, yeah, no, he's better. I probably have trouble putting him ahead of Harden already too. But well, I wouldn't put him ahead of Harden. But I don't then think that's he's my there top yet. five. It would be right. LeBron, Kawhi, AD, Giannis, and Harden of active players. And then he's somewhere in that next group, probably. But yeah, it's the way he's playing right now. It's not absurd to say that he's like approaching that.
0: I thought too. One of the interesting angles that uh, they were talking about during the broadcast was. When you change it, not the who's the top five right now, but sort of that, you know, when we do the uh, the GM survey of NBA GMs, who would you build around for the next five, ten years? Are there many players? Giannis, I think, goes number one easily. Like, he's the number one draft. If you had a draft of current players, would would, would Luka be two then? Because that's another way to look at it, where you look at the completeness of the game, the ability to build around him, his scoring abilities... You know, getting triple doubles. I think he, is he the second player you would around. draft to build around? Yeah, I mean, that, that would be a good wait, way, I think, I to a determine. I think,
2: yeah, you probably would have to say yes now, and and I would go as far as to say if Giannis's shot doesn't get better, and Luca's only with twenty twenty one. I mean, <laughs> like in the next few years, it might be Luca, like because Luca has the complete game and he's still a kid. Um But yeah, I think it would probably be Giannis and Luca at this point. I was trying to think of who made I me mean, like eighty still only like twenty five so if you think yeah. he's passed like his injury stuff in the past is maybe he's some in that, injuries right, right. If he's past that maybe but Luca's probably got to be in the conversation and also just to put into context like what he's doing this season how impressive it is I, to me, the most impressive thing is actually how efficient his scoring has been because when you right now he's averaging about a thirty point triple double <laughs> right and that's what Russell Westbrook did the year he won MVP, and that first year he averaged a triple-double. Luka's shooting a 49% from the field. Jeez. Russ was shooting 42 that year. Now, it's still early in the year, so that'll probably maybe tailor off a little bit, but it won't go down to 42. Like The the way he's scoring the ball is so much more efficient. It's super impressive to see what he's able to do at such a young age, which isn't surprising because he was playing at a super high level before he got to the league. Remember, he was 19 years old. He was the MVP of the Euroleague, which is the second best league on the planet. And those are grown men. I mean, he was doing it at a high level, so it's not surprising that he's good, but this good, this quickly is pretty insane.
0: Yeah. The MVP odds that are out now, Giannis uh, is the leader at plus 200. James Harden comes in second. LeBron at plus 500. Luca at plus 600. So in the same airspace as LeBron, it's pretty a hefty compliment there. And I think he could be a, a good potential dark horse, uh, in the MVP race as well. Ben Simmons, everyone was watching. Uh, anytime you hear a Sixers game, I'm always curious. Uh, and Raja and I have talked a lot about this. That Ben Simmons, he worked so much on his three-pointer in the offseason. His, his his shooting ability. That he was going to have to showcase it. Even if you don't make it, you've got to at least show the ability to shoot it. And that you're not afraid to shoot it. Well, guess what? Major accomplishment for Ben Simmons. He gets a three-pointer. From the corner, no less. Solid stroke from him. He's now one for eighteen in his career. But you know what they say: the first one, sometimes the hardest. Maybe they'll start dropping. How big do you think this was for Ben Simmons? I don't. I almost Joey. Almost a little bit concerned. It was the same thing when he made one in the preseason. It's the reaction to it. Doesn't make it easier. It makes it a little bit more like, ugh, like I'm almost getting mocked because everybody's cheering. Crowd goes nuts. Social media. They make a big deal out of it. The. When it becomes not a big deal that Ben Simmons makes a three, that's when he's past the hump. Because I think it becomes more of a distraction when everybody makes such a big deal when he makes a three. Are you with me on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I see your – yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like, it, maybe it puts a little more pressure on him. But I know, like, you say, you know, the old adage with, like, shooters is when, they, when they're when they not making shots, seeing just seeing it go in in any way is a huge boost to your confidence. And I think for him, I think just seeing it go in in a game – plus, that was a contested three – it was a corner 3, which is the easiest 3 in the game, but it was a contested 3. Um I think it's just big. I think it's big. I, you you just see it, it's the same thing that happened in the in the um in the preseason game that happened in that game. The team, like just for the team, they they go nuts to see him make that 3. I, I don't even think he's thinking about the fans. I think he just you got to love for him as a guy who's supposed to be a leader of the team and one of the best players on the team to see how happy the players are because they know how important it is for their future for him to be that kind of shooter and i'm pretty sure when i was at home uh watching this highlight i heard everybody that works here at cbs sports hq because they're almost all from philly collectively jump out of their seats from their houses when ben simmons made this shot because they are probably this this building today is probably the happiest of any (laughs) building on the planet including philly
0: That's right. I thought it was because of my birthday. I guess it's not. I guess it's because Ben Simmons made a three. Yeah, 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 that too for Welcome back to Canel and Bell. Before we get to James Wiseman at Memphis, we did want to recap a couple other things that took place last night in the NBA. Kawhi Leonard came back after missing a couple... Due to injury, so it was the first time him and Paul George played together. Kawhi was okay, did have a big block to kind of seal the win against my Celtics because uh, I have been very uh, pro Celtics there. Uh, Paul George was eight of eighteen from the field. He had twenty five, but Kawhi uh, was seven of twenty from the field, three for three for ten from behind the uh, three point line for seventeen. Joey, you watched this game much more closely than I did. What did you think of the pairing? of Paul George and Kawhi. Obviously, it's going to take some time to develop chemistry flow within an offense, but what was your first impression from seeing these two play together?
2: Yeah, that was my sort of my takeaway, too, is is at least in terms of the duo and how it's going to flow with the offense, it's going to take a little bit to figure out who gets their shots where and their spots. The offense last night was a lot of uh, a lot of one-two passes and then isos. They are running plays for each of those guys to get their shots, which is probably what's going to happen a lot. Um, they didn't look great last night and 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 to the celtics credit the celtics defense looked great like it, it really they you you may have made one of the sleeper picks of the year i I'm like see? like i, I mean, we'll see how it go how it goes cuz i don't know how deep they are and how much they can keep but their defense was great last night um but these two guys, they, they strike me the thing that strikes me is they're just so good these two guys and i don't love this roster i mean their crunch time lineup was what we thought it was oh man my, my, my computer wasn't muted. <laughs> um, the uh, Their crunch time lineup was Pat Beverly, Lou Williams, and Montrez Harrell with those two guys. I don't know if that's a championship lineup, to be honest. it just Pat Beverly hit huge crunch time threes. He hit three of them, one in overtime. Um, Lou Will's going to get some of his shots, but they got outscored 52-32 in the paint. They got outscored in second-chance points. They got outscored in fast-break points. But when you have two of the best players in the NBA— you win.
0: Yep. Makes up a lot of those issues there for sure. Moving on to the NCAA. Earlier this season, uh, Memphis had their star player James Wiseman um, was looking into, there was some infractions there that took place when he had uh, taken $11,500 to help him with the move uh, from Penny Hardaway, who is now the coach. This was before Penny Hardaway was the coach. The NCAA was looking into it. They wanted James Wiseman suspended. Memphis said, nope, we're going to still play him. It's the first couple games. And then Penny Hardaway took a very much like, what are you going to do about it approach? And then I think he talked to his attorneys for the school and said, what type of impact could this have over the course of our season? I think they made the smart decision to take James Wiseman off the court and say, all right, let's see what happens. Now, the NCAA took him a little bit of time, but this is quicker than most decisions you get out of the NCAA. They have now ruled that James Wiseman will be suspended for 12 games. Um, He got nine games Four, which is what the NCAA reinstatement guide suggests, and then three additional games for Memphis allowing him to play after he was ruled ineligible. Um, since he sat the last game, he has to sit 11 more, so he'll still be back for the back end of the regular season, which is good news. He does have to donate 11500 the money which he took, he has to now donate it, which is kind of weird. And Chase Young, the uh, defensive lineman for Ohio State, He asked for a loan, and he paid back the loan, which is why he got two games. Now, this wasn't a loan. This was more of a gift. So who are you going to pay back? And so now the NCAA is saying, well, you have to donate this. It's kind of – it doesn't make a lot of sense. A lot of things that the NCAA does do not make any sense whatsoever. This is just the latest example of it because people are looking at it saying, well, what's the difference in this and a fine? Like you're essentially saying he has to give money. In the NFL, when you get fined, you donate it to charity or the team gets to pick who they give the money to. Is that this much different? So then you're you're fining an amateur athlete who is making no money. It's one thing if you want to punish them, have them sit out games, but then on top of that, you want to essentially fine them by making them donate $11,500, which is going to be hard to come by. I think the optics of that are horrific in a time when the NCAA could have used this as an opportunity to maybe come down a little bit lighter. And even if they stick with just the games, because they do have to enforce a rule book, which has been criticized by many, myself included. So I get that you have to enforce certain policies, but forcing a player to donate money, the optics of that are as bad as it gets for the NCAA, which is yet another reason why they get absolutely eviscerated in the press, in social media, and across the country. And sometimes they are really, really hard to defend. Le'Veon Bell of the New York Jets came out and tweeted out yesterday. He said, I done had five, quote, Random HGS HGH blood test in 10 weeks at NFL. I'm not doing another after today. Whatever y'all looking for, it obviously ain't here, uh, and I'm not about to keep allowing y'all to stick me with these bleepity bleep needles. Find the players who really do that HGH BS and get off of me. All right, here's the thing HGS, you do have to take blood, it is not a urine test, which is all that I had done to go. Thank goodness. I used to get severe stage fright when I was trying to um, do the urine test. They actually have a guy, they reference him as the P man or the P guy because he actually has to watch you and you have to drop your drawers to your ankles. You have to pull up your shirt above your chest so they get a full view. So they make sure there are no, let's just, uh, implants, anything else, fake (laughs) body parts that you could use there. It is uncomfortable to say the least. I think at least the thing with the blood test is that, hey, it is a prick of a needle. But you can give it. There's no other thing there. I do think Le'Veon has a point, though. If you've done it this many times, then what do you keep needing to do it for? Because it would have showed up if he's had this many non you know, uh, conclusive tests, then give the guy a break. Although, when you try to call the NFL out, good luck with that. It is random. Sometimes your number gets called more frequently. I think that's just the luck of the draw or the unluck of the draw for Le'Veon. But I'm to see if he refuses to take another test, the impact it could have. All right. You see the confetti, birthday day, I'm off and running. Enjoy yours. We're we'll back tomorrow with Raja, breaking out of the weekend's games. Enjoy your day.
2: You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition.